Good morning, church. It's, it's good to be with you this morning. My name is Dan Flynn. Um, I'm an elder here at the church, and as Chris said earlier, I am on the staff of, of Crew, formerly known as Campus Crusade. And it's been 36 years, which is hard for me to imagine because I, I feel like I'm about 35 or so. But I've, apparently I'm not. Anyway, um, I, could, I could talk to you all day about how the Lord has changed my life and done things in my, my life, but I thought just for a moment, if we could uh, look back to my freshman year in college. It was there uh, that I, I didn't see it coming, honestly, but uh, Christ got a hold of my life. There was a guy down my hall named Don Like. He was all the way down at the end of this hall, and Don was a believer in Jesus. He'd wake up every morning like at 5.30 and read his Bible. I never actually saw that. Um, happen. But uh, that was the scuttlebutt on our dorm floor. Don was a consistent follower of Jesus, and I, uh, I knew he had a secret. And so eventually he invited me to a, a meeting on campus, a Christian meeting, and there I heard a young lady come to the front of the auditorium, and I was shocked because it was about the size of a group, and she stood, and for about three minutes, she shared how Jesus, in her words, her exact words, Jesus has become my best friend. And I'm sitting where you're sitting, and I'm looking at her going, what? How's that? That's not possible. I mean, you can't see him. You can't hear him. And yet I, I looked at her face. Have you ever looked at someone who's, who you know is just telling you the absolute truth? And I just couldn't get past it. I was like, she knows something that I don't know. And so uh, later that week, um, some crew people came by my dorm room and didn't know how to say no to them. And so they ended up sharing the gospel with me. And as soon as they got to the end, I was like, yes, yes, this is what I want. And so I, I made a decision right there. Uh, 23 years later, I got to go back into my dormitory and share the gospel with the young man uh, who lived there next door to my room. It was really so much fun. But anyway, Christ got a hold of my life in college and uh, turned it upside down. I'd never owned a Bible in my entire life. Well, I had a class in high school. I had to buy a Bible for a class. But then I immediately sold it back to the bookstore because I thought, well, the, a few dollars I'm going to get out of it is more valuable to me than the contents. Nevertheless, about a week after I made this decision, I, I went out all on my lonesome, just me and, and Jesus, and we were walking down the street, and I found my way to a Christian bookstore, and I asked the man behind the counter, I said, excuse me, I've come to know Jesus, and I'd like to buy a Bible. And uh, so we laid out six different versions on the table in front of him. And I just turned them all to the same chapter and verse, compared them all, and I bought the exact same one that my buddy had, Don. <laughs> That's how I made the decision. If it's good enough for Don, my buddy, it's good enough for me. And this is it, and this is precious to me. It is precious. Now, sometimes I, I do a lot of speaking with college students, and um, a lot of them will, will like be, what, what Bible should I read, Dan? And I just tell them, get the DTV, the, the DTV version, the, the duct tape version. That's what you want. So whatever bobble you get, doesn't matter. Wear the puppy out like this so that the spine's held together. Uh, this is a special bobble because it has like a lift-out section right here, <laughs> which still has three small threads that hold it together. Oh, I think we almost lost a page there. Um, but as you might imagine, it's precious to me because I, I discovered the living God while I was in college here in this book. If our house goes on fire, and I have to run in and grab something, aside from letting my dog out, this is what I'm grabbing. 
and the rest can burn. But this was the conduit by which um, life began. Well, that's enough of an intro. Let's get into the Bible itself, all right? So, ready or not, here we go. Um, If you have a Bible, get it out. If you have a phone with a Bible app, get that out. If you don't have either of those, listen carefully or just kind of saddle up next to that person next to you, get to know them, and uh, read from their Bible. But we're going to be looking in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. Mark, chapter 4, it's the second book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels or stories of Jesus. And uh, we're in the middle, or actually near the end, of a series on God's attributes, that God is, and we've said uh, to this point a lot of things. We've said God is transcendent, that is, he's, he's far off and majestic, but he's also imminent, that is, that he's close or near to us. We've said that God is holy and true. He is omniscient and he's omnipresent. We've said God is sovereign and infinite, self-sufficient and personal. Now, as we read this, I, I wanted to begin with a, a famous quotation. that we've, You've seen it several times during this series. It's by A.W. Tozer, and I extended the quote just slightly because I think it's fascinating. Here's how it reads. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We tend, by a secret law of the soul, to move toward our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that composes the church. What we think about God matters far more than what we, we realize. And so we're going to move in the direction of our, of our conception of him. So let's get it right. Right? So we are in uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 35. It's a, whoops, let me read it out of this current one. Okay, Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to 41. I'll be reading from the old NIV version. Here we go. But all the versions, I studied them all, they all say the same thing. Imagine that. Here we go. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. A furious squall, that is a a fierce windstorm, came up. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up and he rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified. And they asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Let's pray. Lord, what what an occurrence, what an event, what a miracle that you did on that Sea of Galilee 2,000 years ago. We worship you as one who is 100% man. You, you were exhausted. You fell asleep, and apparently a storm wouldn't wake you. And yet you're obviously divine. You are God in the flesh. When you speak, nature listens, and nature obeys. 
That's who you are. You're the God of, well, it seems to us to be the impossible, but to you, it's just not even difficult. You are the omnipotent God, and we worship you this morning. Holy Spirit, would you uh, use this time not just to inform our, our heads, but to move and touch our hearts in such a way that our affection for you is deeply stirred this morning. In your name, amen. Okay, well, a little context on this passage, and then uh, we're going to illustrate it a little bit. Um, it, it doesn't take a genius to look at uh, this passage and go, you know, Jesus obviously here is omnipotent, right? Well, the context of what happens in this passage is this. Jesus has just come off a rather intense training event where he's teaching the crowds, and he goes through various agricultural parables or pictures of what the kingdom looks like. It looks like a gospel seed that gets scattered but when it lands on the right kind of soil, it really takes root in a person's life and it creates like this bumper crop. That's what the kingdom is like. Or the kingdom is like a lamp that you put in a dark room and it shines and exposes everything around. Or it's like, um, it's like a seed that you plant in the ground and then you go to bed at night and you don't even see it grow. It's like the tomatoes uh, in the back, uh, on the back deck of our house. <laughs> My wife has planted these two or three Tomato, I, I'm not a green thumb at all, but in these pots, you know, with these funny little things that come up, out, you know, metal things that guide the tomato plant or something. And, and I go out there and I'm like, wow, look, there's a tomato. And then a day or two later I go, there's like 10 tomatoes. Where did those come from? And then like the next day, there's like 30. And I'm like, what is going on? And then this little itty bitty tomato suddenly is, and they taste pretty good. I pulled one and started slicing it the other day. So isn't that, that's what the kingdom is like in a person's life when the seed takes root. Secretly, miraculously, it grows and develops. And then the last one that Jesus said was that uh, it's also like a, a little itty-bitty seed called a mustard seed. Really the smallest little seed you're going to find. And it's very unlikely, this seed, that it's going to produce anything. But it does. And in fact, it produces far more, greater impact than any of us would ever imagine. So... Jesus goes through this teaching day, and right on the heels of it, when he's, right when he's done, we have these four pictures in a row in the Gospel of Mark that are four miracles that don't talk about the kingdom per se. They talk about the king of the kingdom, the king of the kingdom. And so here's what's going to happen. Jesus goes, he, he does the story we just read, so he has power over nature. And then the next story is going to be Jesus showing that he has power or omnipotence over the spirit world. And then we're going to see that Jesus has power over disease. And then finally, that he even has power over death. So that's the context of this little passage. Now let's kind of dig in and double click on, on this one. Here's the plot line of our time, of this story. It's real simple. Here it goes. Number one, let's go over there. Number two, hop in boat. This is like Dr. Seuss here. Number three, well that should be Jesus falls asleep, but... Apparently, Isis does as well. So, <laughs> Jesus falls asleep. Number four, fierce storm. Number five, Jesus rebukes nature. Number six, immediate calm. By the way, the word immediate shows up 42 times in the Gospel of Mark. 42 times. Uh, it's, it's like made for Americans, you know, <laughs> with no attention span. The Gospel of Mark is it's fast-paced. Uh, where was I? Number seven, Jesus asks, why so afraid? Still no faith? And number eight, who is this? Who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. Wow, that's our plot line. Pretty simple. 
I bet you all have it memorized at this point. Let me ask a question. <clears throat> Excuse me. Puberty. <laughs> I wish. Let me ask a question. Does that story of Jesus in the boat in a storm and a calm, does that remind you of anything in the Old Testament? Yeah, it does. What does it remind you of? Well, Dan, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. It reminds me of Jonah. Remember the story of Jonah? He, he hops on a boat. Jesus hops on a boat, right? Now, Jonah's actually running away from God. Jesus is on mission for the Father. So there is a discontinuity between these stories, no question. But they're both in a boat. A storm comes up, apparently out of nowhere. Looks like it's going to destroy the boat. Meanwhile, down below, under deck, sleeping on a cushion. You following what I'm saying? You picking up what I'm laying down here? You seeing the parallel? All right, so, so that happens. And then the sailors of the boat go and wake them up, right, and say, hey, don't you care? We're going to drown. We're going to die here. We're going to die. Now, at this point in the, story, the two stories, they are a little different. Uh, Jonah actually gets tossed in to the water, and that's what calms the sea. So if Jonah dies, the sailors live. If Jonah dies, the sailors live. Yeah, so if, if we actually came out a little bit on this story and looked at the bigger picture of, of Christ and of the gospel, that's exactly what happens. The storm becomes the cross at which Jesus dies so that the storm of judgment would not be held against us, that we would not die. That's making sense, right? And then when it's all done and everything's calm, did you notice that everybody gets more afraid? It says that the disciples were actually terrified. The sailors in Jonah's time freaked out. Um, <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. That's in the message Bible. It says they freaked out. So what we're going to do from this point on is we're just going to kind of double-click on one small item in our story where Jesus calms the sea. And we've already read it, so it's not surprising to you, and here's what it is. Theologians call this attribute of God, God's omnipotence. When Jesus says, quiet, be still, and it calms, he's omnipotent. Omni is all, potent is power. He's all-powerful, omnipotence, right? I, uh, I like to dumb things down so I understand them. And so I simply say this, God can. God can. That's what this is teaching, God can. Now, it's not new. It's all over the Bible. And let me show you a couple verses where this is. We could have turned to almost any place in the Bible and talked about God's omnipotence. But here's a few. In uh, Ephesians chapter 3, there we go. I can read it with my old eyes. It says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Stop. Really? I can imagine a lot. Can you? I could ask for a lot. This says that he's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within us. Christ's power is at work in the body of Christ. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the Apostle Paul. He's just busting loose at the end of chapter 3 of Ephesians. He just can't contain it anymore. Next verse. Jeremiah 32. I found this one all on my own when I was in college. 
Like, I was reading it one day. I'm reading through the book of Jeremiah, which I'm sure all of you have done when you're in college, just sitting there reading through the book of Jeremiah. And, and uh, that was a joke, but not very good. And so I'm reading through it, and I ran across these two verses, and I was like, nobody's ever seen these before. I know it. Like, Martin Luther did not see this, but I did. That's how I felt. And here's how it, here's how it reads. Ah, sovereign Lord, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and thy outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Wow. Wow. And then 10 verses later, almost like antiphonally, God responds, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? A rhetorical question demanding the answer, no. No, nothing is. Next verse. Daniel 3, one of my favorites. Um, this, the story here is that King Nebuchadnezzar, he built a 90-foot gold statue, like an idol, essentially, probably of himself, because he was a little on the vain side. He builds this huge thing, and he says, whenever the trumpets go off in the kingdom, everybody hit a knee, worship this statue, kind of like worship me. And so uh, Daniel had three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which I don't know why we don't name our kids that anymore, but we don't. And he had, he had these three friends that were also administrators in the kingdom in Babylon as exiles. Jewish exiles, and uh, they refused. They're like, uh-uh, there's, there's one God, and we worship him, whatever the consequences, right? So here's how it reads. Oh, and by the way, if you don't do it, you get executed. The, and the means of execution was to take the person and to dump them into a fiery furnace where they would burn, okay? Pretty nasty. Listen to what they say to the king. It says, O Neb, as Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't fit on the slide, I apologize. Oh, Neb, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able. The God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But, and here's, here's big boy Christianity coming. And this is the real deal right here. But even if he does not. We want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up, even if he does not. God can, there's no question. But does God always show up the way we want? No. No. He has other agendas that are supreme to ours, but for our benefit. And the last verse, um, Genesis 18. This is when um, Abraham married to Sarah. They're about to have a baby in a year. And God tells Abraham and Sarah that she's going to have a baby a year from now. And Sarah laughs. And the reason is she's 90 years old. Now, the last time I checked, I'm not a biology expert. But the last time I checked, 90-year-old women don't usually have babies. Is that true? Is that true? Yeah, that is true. Okay, good. So listen to what happens here. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything, anything too hard for the Lord? And sure enough, a year from that point, she gave birth to Isaac. Right? And if you know the rest of the story, we get all the way to Jesus from Isaac. <laughs> Pretty exciting. So, I could go on and on. I, I don't know if I'm belaboring this. But a few years ago, I actually, I actually sat down with my Bible and I thought, I'm going to just make a quick list of all the impossible things that God has done in the Bible. 
And it just started at Genesis 1-1, and it just started going in one sitting. I came up with 100. So I titled it 100 Impossible Things That God Has Done. Like number one, creation. It's a pretty good trick, right? <laughs> I mean, you got nothing, and then suddenly you got something. That's not bad. <laughs> How about the Red Sea splitting in half and walking through it? Dry ground, it said. How about manna every day, 40, 40 years in a row? I did the, the calculations, 14,600 days in a row. Six days, manna's on the ground, seventh day, Sabbath, no. You're supposed to pick up two loads yesterday. Six days in a row, it happens again. Seventh day off, right? And this went on for 14,600 days. God can. God can. God is omnipotent. Water to wine, that's a pretty good trick. Calming the storm, that's a good one. Walking on water, and it wasn't like up in Minnesota where it was ice. One of my favorites is when Jesus tells Peter to go fish and grab a coin out of the mouth of that fish and go pay our tax. You know that story. What? What? Now, either it's true, or I'd like to hand you a scissor, and you can go ahead and cut that story out of your Bible. But those are your two options. So we have to reckon with the notion that God can, or that it's all a charade. But there's no middle ground. There's no such thing as, like, in between Christianity or moderate, right? Well, I'm far afield from my notes, so let's bring it back. <laughs> are we all doing okay? All right, good. All right. Chris, get the hook and pull me off the stage pretty soon. Remember uh, Jeremiah 32? Ah, sovereign Lord, thou hast made the heavens, the heavens. Have you ever thought about how big the universe is? Let's pretend for a moment that we're here at uh, Fall Creek Junior High, and we discover how to travel at the speed of light, all of us. So we hop into this machine that can go the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles every second. Every second. 186,000 miles. That's seven and a half times around the globe in a second. Okay? How long does it take us to get to Mars? It takes four and a half minutes, and we hit Mars, right? Well, how long will it take us to get out to the edge of our solar system? It's going to take us four and a half, or five and a half hours to get to Pluto. 186,000 miles every second, right? And may I say, we haven't gone anywhere yet. In terms of the, the universe, we haven't gone anywhere. We haven't even thought about getting out of our chair to leave our home. We just haven't traveled far. Um, if you go to, uh, after Pluto, the, the world essentially goes dark except for the stars. And you'll travel the next five years of your life at 186,000 miles per second before you'll get to the nearest star, Alpha Centauri. And then you're going to travel 100,000 years at the speed of light until you make it far enough away from the Milky Way to look back and see the spiral nature of our galaxy. And again, you haven't left the neighborhood. Do you understand what I'm saying? Is this blowing your mind? Is it like... It'll take 14 billion years at the speed of light, 186,000 miles every second for 14 billion years for you to get enough distance to see the structure of the universe that the, the omnipotent God has made. John Piper says this, and it's beautiful, it's well said, about this sense of the vastness of space, the, 
the majesty and the power of God. He says sometimes people stumble over the vastness of the universe. It does seem to make us infinitesimally small. But the meaning of this magnitude is not mainly about us. It's about God. The reason for wasting so much space on a universe to house a speck of humanity is to make a point about our maker, not about us. You guys, God can. There's nothing that's too difficult for him. Well, what are you going through right now that seems impossible? I bet there's some things. Is it uh, finances? Your boss? Raising children? <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> Maybe marital problems? What's, what seems impossible for you? How are we like the disciples in the boat who say that we trust this Jesus? But is the evidence really there? Is the evidence there that we believe that God can in our lives. You ever wonder why we don't take more risks for God? Why don't we do that? Are, are we afraid that maybe he won't show up, that he can't, God can't? Is that what's going on? Are we wed to our comfort, to our security? Is it possible you guys, we know something so well we really don't know it at all? You know, like, we have head knowledge, God can, but we, we lack the experiential knowledge that he really can't. Lord, you said we'd go to the other side of this Sea of Galilee. You said we'd go to the other side. But these circumstances don't seem to support your claim, right? This storm is going to sink us. And I'm soaked right now, Lord. I am soaked to the bone, right? Let me tell you about a time a few years back, well, more than a few years back, when my boat was flooding and I thought perhaps it was going to sink. I was, uh, Paula and I were pretty newly married at this point. We were back in the city of Milwaukee where I grew up, and um, I had a lot of doubts about God's ability to, to show up and meet the needs of my life. And so I was sort of in a, the doldrums, just sort of out of it uh, spiritually. And I opened up my Bible that day, and I turned to Mark chapter 14, and I'm reading through it, and a verse just kind of grabs me. And it was verse 36. When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, Praying to his father, he said these words. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible with thee. Let this cup pass. Nevertheless, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego here, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And I, I read that, I was like, wow. And so here's what I did. In my journal, the first clause or so of this verse really grabbed my attention. Abba, Father, all things are possible for thee. And I wrote it in my journal six times in a row just so I could kind of, you know, get it in my brain and keep it there, right? And then I wrote it down on my ring finger, which I sometimes do so I wrote, uh, during the course of a day so I can see it later, you know? So Mark 14, 36 on my ring finger. Well, later that day, Paula and I, we uh, go to a Bre Milwaukee Brewers game. They're playing against the New York Yankees. And one thing you need to know about me is I was an usher at Milwaukee County Stadium back in the day for the Brewers when I was in high school. So I went to a gazillion baseball games. Baseball was my life growing up. Um, you look at me and you're like, there's no way baseball was your life. I get it. But uh, you don't know how, how hard I tried. <laughs> so I, I made it all the way to the final cut at the University of Wisconsin. I mean, baseball was like everything to me. So um, we go to this game. And by the way, I've never caught a baseball in my life, but it was always a dream. Like, wouldn't it be awesome to catch a baseball at a major league game? 
throughout this game, and Yankees, we're, oh, let me tell you where we're sitting, because this matters. We're sitting first base side, lower grandstand. You got the upper deck well over the top of us. And so we, we take our seats, and I'm like, ah, oh, shoot, shoot. You can't catch a fall ball here. It's not, you know, it's really not possible because the upper deck precludes the opportunity for a typical fly ball, fall ball to come your way. So I was sort of disappointed, but we got into the game, and the first, second, third, fourth inning comes, and I look down in between innings when they're changing the field. I look down at my finger. Abba, Father, all things are possible with thee. Lord, all my life I've wanted to catch a baseball. <laughs> Lord, please, could I, could I catch a baseball? Uh, please, I mean... And then I don't know, I can't explain this to you, so I don't know what to exactly say right now, other than I had this strange sense that I was going to catch a baseball. I, I, I don't know how to explain that. I don't. And so I elbowed my dear bride here, and I said, hey, sweetie, I, I think I'm going to catch a baseball. <laughs> and she's like, nope. my husband's lost it. My, my newlywed husband here, this young man, has lost it. Well, the, the game continues, fifth inning, sixth, seventh, eighth inning, the Yankees bring in a reliever, Goose Gossage. Some of you might recognize that name. He was a fastball reliever. All he threw was smoke, all right? So Gossage comes in, a utility infielder for the Milwaukee Brewers comes to the plate, named Gus Polidor. He gets up to the plate. Gossage fires the ball. He swings. As soon as he swings, like, I'm in my seat over here, and I'm like this, and he swings, and I go, and I... <laughs> Really, I stood up immediately because I played baseball all my life. And I was like, it's one of those low-line drive screamers, you know, that kind of gets up underneath the upper deck. And I'm like, that ball is on me. And sure enough, it had a lot of spin on it like this. And it hit me square right here, heel of my hand. And I closed on it, and it was gone. I was like, where'd it go? Where'd it go? Right? And so I did what you would do. I, I dove. So I was upside down in the row in front of me. Because there, no, there was nobody there. So I, I was really, my feet were like pushed straight up. And I'm down. And I looked and off to the left, I see the ball. And it ricochets off of a woman's purse or shoe. Never did really figure out which it was. And here it is. Here it is. This is the baseball that God hit me. Off the bat of God, right? God can. There's nothing impossible with him. I'm not saying he hits everybody baseballs. In fact, if you're asking the question like right now, how could God hit me a baseball? I would say you're asking the wrong question. The, the real question is, isn't, you know, how could God hit me a baseball? The real question, it, it's, it's more like, wow, who is this? That even the wind and the waves and apparently occasionally a baseball Obey him. Who is this? Anyone want to see it? Oh, you want to see it? Don't, I, the second service is coming up, so if you walk away with that, we're in trouble. Well, let me, let me end or begin to end. Is that okay with you all? I'm trying to monitor. Oh, hey, they have a little time clock up here. I'm good. I got a couple more minutes. Some of us, uh, did, did you catch... Okay, obviously, this story tells us that God can. It's a simple story, but it's all throughout the Bible. God can. There's also something else going on in this story that's fascinating. Did you notice what the disciples, what they're going through here? They're, they're experiencing deep fear 
and apparently a lack of faith in Christ, right? They sound an awful lot like you and me. I don't know if any of you ever have any fear. Like I had a hard time falling asleep last night. Why? Because I was afraid to come this morning, (laughs) right? It's true. Um, Faith, do we really trust God or do we just say it that we do? What's the evidence that we're really trusting him? So we're a lot like them. We're broken people in need of a rescue. And Jesus is a great rescuer. He's an absolutely great rescuer. He's both human and divine simultaneously in this story. I love it. The exhaustion of of the previous days has him sound asleep and he can't be roused by a, a fierce storm. He's clearly man, which means he can identify with every single thing that we go through. Uh, Hebrews 4, I think it's verse 15, I'm not sure, says that we have a high priest, or excuse me, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. But we, we have one who um, has been tempted in every way, just like us, yet was without sin. So Jesus understands, and I'm glad that we have a Savior who understands. He's 100% man, and he's 100% God simultaneously, which I could talk about all day. If you have questions about that, come talk to me later. I've, I've thought that one through, and I have, I'll give you a handout if you want one. Um, so let's end with this thought. <sighs> Silence is my friend. Suffering's real, isn't it? Don't you care, Lord? Don't you care? Yes, I do. Oh, but Lord, come on. I mean, life's hard. Tough stuff really does happen. Do you care? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. You know, uh, there's some beautiful verses in the New Testament. Jesus says at one point that, uh, the, that not a sparrow will fall to the ground apart from the will of the Father. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. And then, Almost a laughable line, he says, you know, you're worth more than many sparrows. <laughs> Isn't that great? First Peter 5, 6 and 7 says, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He cares for you. Now, it doesn't always show up, right? Uh, because we do go through difficult things. It happens in the Bible too. There's, how about uh, Stephen, the deacon? Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Stephen is stoned to death. Lord, do you care? But Jesus stands, it says. Peter, Stephen had a vision of Jesus standing and welcoming him home. He does care, even though it can be very difficult. And there's other examples all through. You remember like three, four years ago, we had uh, 21 of our brothers in Christ who were beheaded by ISIS in Libya. They were Egyptian brothers of ours, family, who lost their lives because they were followers of Jesus. Remember that story in the news? Yeah. Wow, God, do you care? Yes, he does. Uh, Read Revelation chapter 20, verse 4 sometime. Wow, it's a mic drop. Like, it answers that question. Well, we need to wrap this up for my own sake as well as yours. Can I tell one more story? Yeah. What are you going to say, no? (laughs) No, no. (laughs) 
So three summers later, Paula and I are back in Milwaukee visiting my mom and my brothers. And uh, we, uh, we have, I have a buddy, an old college roommate named Jim Poplowski. And Jim calls me on the phone and says, hey, Dan, I got tickets to the Brewers game tomorrow. You want to go? And I'm like, hey, I'd love to go, but I can't. We have this appointment at lunch, and there's just no way to pull it off. And he says, well, I'm sorry. So off to lunch, Paul and I go, and we're meeting with I don't know who. And we come back, and the phone rings, and I pick it up, and I, and I go, hey, hey, Dan, this is Jim. I'm down at the stadium right now. It's the first inning. Can you get away now? And I'm like, Paula, can I go? She's like, get out of here. And so off I go. And I arrive in the fourth inning, and it's a rainy day, kind of like today. And Jim gives me the ticket, and up we go. And we, not that many people in the crowd, not some. We're up in the very top deck, first base side, upper deck, first row. So I'm walking down the first row, and there's plenty of seats to choose from, but they're all wet. So I'm like, no, not that one. No, not that one. And I get to a chair or a seat that's pretty good, sit down on it, and then I realize that for the rest of the game, I'm going to have to dodge this vertical post that's right in front of me, you know, with horizontal posts as well, so that apparently people don't jump off the, the grandstands. So the whole game, I watched it like this, you know. And it was a good game. It was the Brewers against the, uh, the Texas Rangers. And I'm watching the game. And then, uh, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth inning again. Eighth inning comes. And all of a sudden, I'm not paying attention. And I recognize there's sort of this electricity going on in the crowd. Just there's an excitement. And I'm like, what's, what's going on? Maybe it's, maybe it's down on the field. So I look down on the field, and of course, all I see is a post. <laughs> so I dodge like this, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. So I stand to my feet, and off the bat of God tumbles this baseball. It's just like, and by the way, what, oh, what I forgot to say to you is I was really mad at the Lord. Is it okay to say that? I mean, I, was, I wasn't doing real well with him at that particular time in my life. We just moved from Baltimore to Virginia, couldn't find a house that we could afford, which was a bummer. Our finances took a major uh, dive went south in a hurry, <laughs> and we were in trouble. And I was upset. I said, God, if you, I mean, how hard is this for you, Lord? Like, if you really cared about me, you'd do this and this and this. Have you ever done that before? Anyway, so I stand up, and here comes this ball, and I swear I can see all the seams tumbling. And it reached its apex right here. <laughs> Caught it. And so I, you know, I turned around to the crowd and went crazy. I just went ballistic so that everyone could have a party with me. Then I sat down back in my seat with this ball in my hand, and I started to cry. I started to cry. I was like, oh, my goodness. Lord, I was so mad at you. I didn't think you cared. Now, by the way, each of these baseballs is a testament or a monument to my great immaturity. They really are. The Bible's already told us all we need to know. God can. God cares. Right? But these, these two balls sit on my desk to remind me that he can and he cares. By the way, the next day, Paul and I had lunch with a, one, of a, uh, one of our partners in ministry who was financially involved in what we're doing. And I, he said, how you doing, Dan? And I told him how I was doing. And he, he looks at me and goes, whoa, okay, uh, here's the deal, Dan. 
uh, with regard to your finances, um, I got it all. What? Don't sweat it. I got, I, I got it all. It was a lot. I mean, it was crazy. And the Lord knew that was going to happen, right? <laughs> he hit me a baseball the day before. Very kind. Let's end with this thought. Okay, back to the story. Jesus, you, you calmed the sea with just your words. You did that. You were thrown, or not you, Jonah was thrown into the sea to calm it, that you spoke to it. But in the bigger picture, Jesus, of course, you went to the cross to calm the seas. And we turn our eyes to you right now, Lord. You're, you're the great and mighty, omnipotent one, Jesus, God the Son, along with God the Father and God the Spirit. We worship you today as um, the great one. We love you. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.